Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm planning on wearing this mic during the golf outing. <laughs> hey, I want to say thank you guys so much for your generosity here at the church. Uh, many churches uh, during the summer season, um, they actually have to adjust budget because giving goes down. And uh, I just want to say thank you because that hasn't been the case here at Lighthouse. You guys have continued to be generous, generous, uh, allowing us to be generous around the world and in our community. So thank you guys so much for that. Also, last week, I announced that we needed a few more volunteers to be able to pull off uh, adding our third, fourth, and fifth grade class to the second service. And uh, you all responded, so we have enough volunteers. We're going to launch that in two weeks. So I'm excited about that. Um, no third, fourth, or fifth grader should have to sit here and listen to me, right? I mean, can we agree on that? You know, just <laughs> don't clap too loud over there. I saw that. I saw that. All right, so for today, I have a question. What is your favorite food? What is your favorite food? Let me hear you. Pizza. What else? Ribs. What? Mashed potatoes, Mexican. Mexican, yeah. Well, there's a there's a survey that was uh, on the internet, so it has to be true. It's top ten most popular foods in America, and so we're gonna walk through these and just make you all hungry. Okay, so number ten is apple pie. Shouldn't that be number one? I mean, this is America, right? America and apple pie. What's happened to this generation, right? They put it number 10. Number nine is corn on the cob. Maybe we haven't had any so far this year. Is corn not ready yet? I mean, is it available? Can you get it? All right, so number, number eight, hash browns, good all day. I love hash browns. Number seven, steak and baked potato. By the way, this is my favorite. I grew up, if we were going to celebrate, it was steak and baked potato. That was it. That was it. So that's, that's number one for me. Number six, cheeseburger. <laughs> Veggie Tales, they did a song about this. Anyone want to sing that? <laughs> cheeseburger. All right, number five. Fried chicken. Mmm, good. Some fried chicken. Number four, grilled cheese. The only thing I could think of is that there's a lot of single guys, and this is all they can pull off, you know? Just making some grilled cheese, because that would not be in my top ten. Number three, hamburgers. That seems like cheating, doesn't it? We had cheeseburgers, now they're saying hamburgers. Who likes a hamburger without cheese? Yeah, like three of us. I mean, it's like cheeseburgers, the way to go. Number two, French fries. Oh, steak and shake French fries until they're shut down by the health department, right? But they, <laughs> that's good. Can't seem to get those anymore, but you can go to Five Guys. If you haven't had the fries at Five Guys, you're missing out. That's some good fries. All right. And number one, what do you think it is? Don't put it up there yet. Pizza. You think it's pizza? Yep. According to my survey, it is mashed potatoes. 
I know it didn't seem right, does it? Anybody's mouth watering right now? You're just like, ah, no, ah, no. Anyway, I love mashed potatoes. So, but favorite foods, I mean, all of these good foods. I mean, you can be having a bad day, and if you have a nice meal, it just makes things all better, doesn't it? You know, and, and the thing is, food is always better if you don't have to make it yourself, right? First service, all the ladies said, amen! That's, that's really loud. So, but you know, the nice thing is, like within 20 minutes from, man, probably within 15 minutes from the church building, you can drive somewhere and there's a restaurant that is serving every one of those foods. You know, you can go that way for mashed potatoes, that way for chicken. You can go anywhere within 10, 15 minutes from the church. And not only will they serve it to you, I mean, they'll make it, they'll serve it to you, but they'll clean up afterwards. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. The country we live in is amazing, isn't it? It's so nice. Food. I could talk about food all day, all day, but we're going to move forward. But here's the question. Why would any one of us willingly choose to not eat some of that good food? Why would we? I mean, besides physical reasons like dieting and things like that, it seems a little crazy, doesn't it? But there's a biblical term for that. It's called fasting. Everybody got sad all of a sudden. I just see it. Everybody's like, oh, we're going to talk about fasting. Yeah, we're going to talk about fasting. Fasting is an incredibly important spiritual discipline, and it's not an easy one for me. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking eating good food is not a sin. I mean, if you eat too much, that's the sin of gluttony, but eating good food is not a sin. So, Lord, why would you want me to give up all of this good food? Well, recently, uh, I went to Texas. My wife and I went down to Texas to pick up our daughter, Becca. She was finishing up her year of ministry school at Upper Room School of Ministry. And uh, so we're there afterwards. We're, we're having a reception. They have uh, cake and ice cream and punch, all these nice desserts. And Pastor Michael Miller was there. He's the lead pastor for Upper Room. So I had a chance to talk to him a little bit. And uh, they were finishing up a 40-day fast. That, that day was the end of the fast. And so I said to him, said, so what was the 40-day fast like for you? What did you eat? What did you not eat? You know, that kind of a thing. And because uh, many times when you talk about a fast anymore, you know, in America, it's like, oh, I gave up Facebook or I gave up, you know, a dessert or, you know, I gave up something like that. And so I just said, so what did you fast for the 40 days? He said, well... I only had water and coffee for the first 38 days. What? Water and coffee for 38? He says, yeah, and so I've just started having fruits and vegetables the last couple days, kind of weaning myself back off of it, and this is my first piece of cake. And he's <laughs> eating this piece of cake. Uh, and, and I was like, really? You, you went without food at all for 38 days? He goes, yeah. Now, he had lost a lot of weight. It was noticeably different, his, his uh, physical appearance. But he was spiritually strong and energetic. And he even spoke that night at the graduation ceremony. And God began to challenge me personally in this area of fasting. 
Now, I have fasted before. Uh, I fasted. I've done a five-day fast. I've done uh, several three-day fasts, and, uh, and I fast uh, one day quite often. But I've never done like a seven-day or a you know, longer type fast. And so God has been challenging me in this area personally. So I've done some research, done some studying on this this past week. And um, as you guys know, the, the spiritual discipline of fasting is all throughout Scripture. Um, Moses fasted, King David fasted, the prophet Elijah, Queen Esther, the prophet Daniel, Apostle Paul, and Jesus himself when he launched his public ministry, he started with a 40-day food fast. And it didn't end with the Bible, like the people in the Bible. Um, pastors and teachers of our Christian faith have been fasting and praying for centuries. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney. So there must be something to this spiritual discipline of fasting. And my hope for today is to try to answer the question, why should we, each one of us, seriously consider exercising the spiritual discipline of fasting? So we're in this series called Counterculture, the Sermon That Changed Everything. We've been studying this summer Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you haven't read those three chapters yet, I would encourage you this week to spend time reading those. They're uh, pretty powerful. But in these three chapters, Jesus continues to challenge the status quo. I mean, it's counterculture. And, and today's topic is no different. Now, fasting was something that was more common during that time by the biblical leaders. And in this section of Scripture, Jesus is really focusing, not necessarily on fasting, as much as he's fo focusing on the reason why we fast. And so what was the motive behind the fast? And so last week, I actually taught a message on motives, why we do what we do, uh, on praying, on fasting, on giving to the poor. And so if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But today, we're going to actually just focus on this topic of fasting. So you can turn in your Bibles, if you'd like, to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. And I'm going to read, uh, starting with verse 16, just three verses. This is Jesus speaking. He says, When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So today's message is titled, Fasting, Why in the World Would We Do It? All right, because that's the question that I had with God this week. And uh, you guys are kind of along for this conversation that I've had with God this week as he's been challenging me in this spiritual discipline. And I, and I truly believe that this is not just for pastors and leaders. Uh, this message is for every one of us. Whether you're, you know, been, you've been a follower of Jesus for a day or you've been a follower of Jesus for a lifetime, um, this is a spiritual discipline that I believe that God wants 
all of us to practice. So we're going to talk about that. I'll give you a few points, a few reasons why we should consider it, but first, let me pray. So God, I come to you and thank you for your word that is true, God, that it speaks to our hearts, that it, we can't get around it. There's difficult things in your word that challenge us and push us to be more like your son, Jesus. And I thank you for it. And Lord, I pray that today you would help me to communicate your heart for this topic of fasting, Lord. And I pray that you would open up our ears to hear from you. There might be a few of us today who have already checked out because this is not something they want to hear. But Lord, I pray that you would bring them back because I do think this is a topic we all need to hear today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you can fill this in on your handout. We should all consider exercising the spiritual discipline of fasting because, number one, it is expected. It's expected. As a follower of Jesus, it is expected. Verse 16, Jesus starts out by saying, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And then he drops down to verse 17, but when you fast. Jesus didn't say, if you fast or if you ever think about fasting, there was this expectation in his language that was saying, but when you fast, Later in Matthew chapter 9, John the Baptist's disciples actually come to Jesus and start complaining because Jesus' disciples weren't actually fasting at that time. And he said, the disciples, John the Baptist's disciples said to Jesus, hey, we fast pretty often, and even the Pharisees fast pretty often, but your disciples, we don't see them fasting. And Jesus' response was this in verse 15, chapter 9. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So Jesus is saying, while I'm with them, they're not going to be fasting. We're going to be just focused on doing the word, but we're not going to fast. But he said, once I go to heaven, my disciples will fast. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are counted as one of his disciples. And there's this expectation that as a follower of Jesus, we will fast. It's part of following Jesus. Fasting goes hand in hand with prayer. You know, when we pray, we can fast as well. And when we pray and fast, we're, we're praying and fasting for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying and fasting for others. It is self-sacrifice, right? I mean, for me, giving up food is sacrifice because I love my food. So if I give it up, that's a sacrifice. But as a follower of Jesus, not only are we called to fast, we are called to a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. Right? I mean, it's supposed to be part of following Jesus is to have self-sacrifice in our lives. Here's just a few scriptures that speak to it. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I mean, that just speaks to sacrificing what you want for others, right? That's the definition of self-sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice means that we are alive, we're breathing, 
but we are dead to ourselves. We are dead to what we want, to our desires. And so we live, but we give up our desires, our rights, and we live for God and we live for others. That's a living sacrifice. And then John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So this idea of sacrifice should be part of our lives. But I'll tell you, I'm, I'm fearful for the church in America today. The big C church. Our church, you know, is included in that. You know, we are followers of Jesus, but let's be honest, being a follower of Jesus in America today is actually pretty easy, right? I mean, when we think about sacrifice or persecution, what comes to mind is, oh, I sacrificed. I gave a portion of my income in the offering box, or I gave online, right? I tithed to the church. Even if you tithed 10%, that means that you still had 90% to do whatever you wanted, right? And the reality is your 90% is more than probably 90% of the people in the world that, than what they have to spend. Let's face it, guys. That's not that big of a sacrifice. It really isn't compared to how much money we still have left over to do with what we want. And then I've, I've heard, you know, my sacrifice is I give up my Sunday mornings. You know, I go to church. I spend those 90 minutes. Yes, that's good. I mean, I'm not granted, that's good. But that's not much of a sacrifice compared to our whole week, right? The, the church in America has gotten soft. I mean, when we think giving 10 cents out of a dollar or giving 90 minutes out of seven days is sacrificial. It, it is. Don't get me wrong. It, it is, but it's, it's really not that much. God is calling us to be willing to sacrifice much, much more. And now I'm talking about Big C Church, but I'll talk about Lighthouse here for a moment. I've been having conversations about doing outreaches where we would, like on a Saturday morning, we're going to do this car wash, you know, coming up. And uh, this fall we have some other plans, and then even over Christmas we have some plans. And the reality is, as I'm talking to our intern about this, I said, we can't do too many of them. Because we can't, we can't overdo the appetite of the church family. Because if we try to do one every month, see, that's too much, and then our attendance will drop. Because giving up a couple hours on a Saturday morning monthly will be too much for our church family. And that's just reality. I, I, I think Jesus looks down, because he sees all the churches, right? He sees the church in Iran, he sees the church in China. He sees the church in Afghanistan. Then he looks at the church in America. And I think we're soft. I think we're soft. There is an expectation of sacrifice to be a follower of Jesus in and fasting is a very practical way that we can sacrifice for Jesus. There is no other reason to do it but for the love of God and the love of people, right? That's, that's the reason we would, we would fast. And it is an expectation 
from God. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter, and it's kind of a who's who of the kingdom of God. This, these are our fathers of the faith. So I want you to, to listen to this as I read this section of what it means to be, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and what we need to be willing to sacrifice as well. Verse 35, chapter 11 says, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resur resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. So our faith should be the most precious thing in our lives. And if Jesus expects us to be willing to exercise the spiritual discipline of fasting, we should be more than willing to make that sacrifice. Here's your fill-in. The pain of fasting is nothing compared to the pain of Jesus' sacrifice. Just remember that. Jesus took nails in his hands and feet for us whippings. That pain was so much more than giving up a few meals. So that's our first point. We should all engage in fasting because it's expected. Number two, we should all engage in fasting because it strengthens our resolve against sin. This is just a practical side to fasting. Verse uh, verses 16 and 17 said, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. So when Pharisees would fast, they would make a big show of it, you know, walk around, oh, oh, you know, their faces would show that they were fasting. Um, and that's just the reality of it. When you, when you fast, it is uncomfortable. There is a little bit of pain, you know, hunger pains that go along with it. And uh, Jesus is just kind of admitting this, this is normal, you know, that you, you don't feel very good about it. Now, the reason for this is because we're going back to our eighth grade biology class, because of the self-preservation instinct, all right, also known as the survival instinct. So this is the definition, the fundamental tendency of humans and animals to behave so as to avoid injury and maximize chances of survival. We all have this instinct within us, okay, every one of us. We tend to do whatever it takes to stay alive. And that's, that's actually a good thing. God put that inside of us. And part of that is God has put within us a desire to not starve to death, because if we starve to death, we would be dead, right? And so that doesn't keep us alive. So when our stomachs get hungry... We have a drive within us to do whatever it takes to meet that, that hunger, right? I mean, that's just what happens. And so the longer we go without food, the bigger that drive is, and the more we will do whatever it takes to meet that need. The reality is that this instinct within each of us is the root of so much of our sin, it just is. This desire to take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves, 
to meet everything that we want, every need that we think we have, is the root of so much of the sin in our lives. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they had one command, just one. There's this tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. That was the only, only command that they had that we're aware of anyway in Scripture. And so one day, they're over by that tree, and the serpent starts to tempt them, right? And so they look at this tree. It starts with Eve, and she's looking at the tree, and this is her thoughts. Verse, chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, so she looked at it and, and goes, wow, that looks good to eat. And then also, and pleasing to the eye, like it looks really, really good to eat. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. And I'll become smarter and I'll be like God. You know, this is this thought of, boy, I want that. I want that food. I want to eat it. I want to taste it. I want what it has for me. I don't care what God said. This is what I want. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Fulfilling our wants and desires that come from our flesh so often is the root of sin in our lives. We commit the sin of lust by looking at pornography because it makes us feel good. We commit the sin of theft by cheating on our taxes and we justify it because God would want us to have more money in our bank accounts. We commit the sin of slander and gossip by talking bad about someone and cloaking it in the guise of it's a prayer request. And why do we do these things? Because we want to. Sometimes our flesh is crying out. Sometimes our minds are crying out. But there are these desires within us that want these things for us. And they go contrary to the Word of God. James describes it this way in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire and do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So we have these desires that propel us towards sin. And a lot of them are coming from this stuff that we live in, this, this flesh that's on us. And that's what we're made out of. But the Spirit of God is stronger than our flesh. Can I get an amen with that? It's supposed to be anyway. And fasting is one of those ways in our lives that we can battle against our flesh. This is when we elevate the desires of our spirit, desires of God, and we lower the desires of our flesh. Because our flesh, trust me, if you, if you decide to fast, you will become hungry the moment you make that decision. That's just what happens. It's crazy the way that works. You don't even have to be hungry and you say, I think I'm going to fast today, and all of a sudden, your body starts to rebel immediately. And you will have a headache, 
You'll be tired. You'll be grumpy. I mean, all these things happen. Why is that? Because your body is crying out, you will serve me and my desires. And when we fast, we're telling our flesh, you will serve the Spirit of God within me and his desires. It's a practical way of teaching our body who's in charge. Simply by not giving it what it wants at a very basic level, which is food. This develops self-discipline. And self-discipline, man, that's a great characteristic to have, isn't it? It's helpful in our marriages. It's helpful in parenting. It's helpful, it's helpful physically. It helps us in our jobs. But self-discipline helps us to avoid sin and stay strong against sin. You can write this in. The practice of fasting is spiritual cardio exercise for the soul. If you want more self-discipline against the temptations that are around you, develop this spiritual discipline of fasting, and it will expand into many, many other areas of your life. So fasting strengthens our resolve against sin. Number three, we should all engage in, self, in the self-discipline of fasting because God has equipped us for it. He's actually equipped us to be able to do this. Verse 17, he says, But when you fast, this is Jesus, he said, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. So Jesus understood fasting, right? He fasted for 40 days. He went, went without food for 40 days. And so he knew that the disciples could do this. And, see, and he says, when you fast, basically take a shower, do your hair, do your makeup, put a smile on your face, go about your normal day. He, did, he said that because he knew it was possible. We don't have to be grumpy. We don't have to lock ourselves in a box if we go without food, look all disheveled. You know, we can actually go on with life. God, Jesus understood this personally. So it's not easy to go without food. I don't know about you, but if I go without it, I have this feeling of I'm starving, right? And I just start telling people, man, I'm starving. I'm starving. You ever said that? I, I think I've said it a few times to my wife, probably more than I should. The reality is that most of us in this room probably have never starved a day in our lives. Okay? Starving is really when our bodies are out of energy or um, reserves and it starts to eat on living tissue. And most of us have never done that. Our bodies are pretty remarkable, if you think about it. So when we eat more food, more uh, calories than what we need for any given day, which for me is just about every day, um, our bodies take those extra calories and store them away right here. I mean, that's usually where it starts for me anyway. So it just stores them away in fat cells. And it's really storing them away for a rainy day. It's not a bad thing. I mean, if you, you just think about it. God designed our bodies to be able to take the extra because it's a day of plenty and store it away for a rainy day. And then later on, if you 
don't have any food and you need the calories, our body goes ahead and starts to make withdrawals. Just think of it as a physical bank account. We can make deposits and then we can make withdrawals. It's just backwards because making deposits is fun in this case and making withdrawals is not much fun. When we start to burn those calories that, you know, start to burn those fat cells, it doesn't feel quite as good as it does when we're making deposits. But our bodies have been designed to be able to handle that. I'm going to read a section of this book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. And he talks about many different spiritual disciplines, but there's a section in here where he talks about fasting. And specifically, he talks about what happens to your body during a long-term fast. He says, it is wise to know the process your body goes through in the course of a longer fast. The first three days are usually the most difficult in terms of physical discomfort and hunger pains. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. The body is beginning to rid itself of the toxins that have built up over years of poor eating habits, and it is not a comfortable process. By the fourth day, the hunger pains are beginning to subside, though you will have feelings of weakness and occasional dizziness. The weakness can come to the point where the simplest task takes great effort. Rest is the best remedy. Many find this is the most difficult period of the fast. By the sixth or seventh day, you will begin to feel stronger and more alert. Hunger pains will continue to diminish until by the ninth or tenth day, they are only a minor irritation. The body will have eliminated the bulk of toxins and you will feel good. Your sense of concentration will be sharpened and you will feel as if you could continue fasting indefinitely. Physically, this is the most enjoyable part of the fast. Anywhere between 21 and 40 days or longer, depending on the individual, hunger pains will return. This is the first stage of starvation, and the pain signal that the body has used up its reserves and is beginning to draw on the living tissue. The fast should be broken at this time. So we can survive without food much longer than we think, right? Now, there may be some of us who have physical situations where you may not be able to fast you know, completely from food. You need to check with your doctor on that. But I would say a majority of us in this room physically could fast for a day or two or maybe a week or two, and we would be able to go on with life and develop that spiritual discipline within us. Guys, God has equipped our bodies to be able to handle this. And then the last point that I have, which I think is probably the most obvious, we should all engage in fasting because it gets God's attention. It really does. Verse 17 says, But when you fast, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He sees this sacrifice, and he rewards us with it. I did a quick search on BibleHub.com for the word fast or fasting, and there are 278 verses listed in the NIV that speak to fasting in the Bible. And so if you haven't done any research on fasting, if God is speaking to you about it, 
I would encourage you to do a little research in the Bible. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. And each time they are praying for something and they're adding fasting to it. Prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. And prayer and fasting gets God's attention. I don't understand it. I'll be the first one to admit when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to go, God, I understand prayer. Why, why was fasting a big deal? I mean, tell me more about that. But I do know that it gets God's attention. When I take time to fast, one of the first benefits that I see right away is that I experience more of God's presence. During that time, I may be physically weaker, but I feel spiritually stronger. I see God move more often in the spiritual gifts that he's given me in times of fasting. And I've seen God answer prayers through times of prayer and fasting. It gets God's attention. Here's your last fill-in. Adding fasting to prayer is like adding gas to fire. Fasting should be a normal part of a follower of Jesus. If you're interested in learning more, I would encourage you to buy this book. It really is one of the best books I've read on fasting um, and other spiritual disciplines. So I encourage you to do that. Um, also, we are planning on doing a corporate fast in January. Um, and in the past, it's a 21-day fast. We've done it the last two years, started off the year. Um, we have uh, had fasting for a day or two or three. We've also had um, fasting from things like social media, and uh, those types of things, which is really good. All of those are, have been good because I believe that God honors any sacrifice that we give him. And I do believe that. But God has been really um, challenging me to be willing to do a longer food fast during that 21-day period. Uh, I don't know if it's a week or two or three, but um, God's going to ch is challenging me now and preparing me to be able to do whatever he asks me to do. In January. So I want to encourage you guys to start praying about that. Start praying about what God may be asking you to do come January. And my challenge to you is going to be this. I'm letting you know now in August, because some of you are planners. Uh, my challenge is going to be that God is probably going to ask you to do more than you did last January. So not less, but probably more. Um, especially in this area of food fasting. And so some of you might want to start practicing, you know, fasting a meal or, a or two or maybe a full day between now and then and be prepared and prayerful about what God's going to ask us to do. I'm actually super excited about where God is taking us, where I believe God wants to take us in 2022. Um, and this fast is going to be the beginning, really it's going to be the launching uh, pad or God wants to take us next year. All right, so we should all engage in the self-discipline of fasting because it's expected. It strengthens our resolve against sin. God has equipped us for it, and it gets God's attention. I'm going to invite Will and Becca to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. If you guys would all stand.
All right, so God, I come to you and I just thank you so much for loving us enough to continue to challenge us, Lord. As followers of Jesus, none of us have already arrived. None of us are exactly like your son, Jesus. And you've given us clues and insights and commandments all throughout Scripture to lead us and guide us and direct us on, and instruct us on how to be more like your son, Jesus, which is the ultimate goal in this life. So, Father, in this area of sacrifice and fasting, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us that we would not forget what you're saying to us today. Because I know, God, it's worth it. Any sacrifice we can make is worth it. In Jesus' name. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.